Hello and welcome to This is Good for My Therapy. Sylvie and Sarah will be uh, joining us shortly and Sarah will be introducing us to Bob Lazar. Uh, Thank you and I hope you guys enjoy the uh, rest of the podcast. So what are we going to be talking about today, you wonder? Uh, Well, I'm going to be introducing you to a man whom I very poorly tried to describe before, but with only excitement and my very poor memory to go on. His name is Robert Lazar. But before I do, though, I guess we should kind of discuss what I thought was going to be my wheelhouse. But I think it's just going to be one of our wheelhouses. Like we can, it'll be conspiracy theories. And uh, I do love a conspiracy theory. Right? So, like, you can talk about them. It's not just, like, my wheelhouse. It's our wheelhouse. Good, because I really think I want to do the reptoid one. Oh, good. Excellent. I am so down. Perfect. So, Merriam-Webster says, a conspiracy theory explains an event or set of circumstances as the result of a secret plot by by usually powerful conspirators. Or it's a theory asserting that a secret of great importance is being kept from the public. So that's a conspiracy theory, as Merriam-Webster says, that a secret of great importance is being kept from the public. Yes, yes. So we could... <laughs> Go. So <clears throat> Merriam-Webster is just that kind of really... Uh, It's very direct. It's a secret of great importance. But Wikipedia outlines a more sinister definition. They go a little bit more in depth, saying a conspiracy theory is an explanation for an event or situation that invokes a conspiracy. And a conspiracy is just a simple plot or a secret plan. So the explanation is by a sinister and powerful group, often political in motivation, when other explanations are more probable. Okay, when other explanations are more probable, but who defines how probable? So what I think they're trying to reference is the principle of parsimony, which is the scientific principle that things are usually connected or behave in the simplest or most economical way. Lots of people know this principle, but they call it by a different name, Occam's razor. So basically, they both state that among competing hypotheses, the one with the fewest assumptions should be selected, meaning the simplest explanation is most likely the correct one. So Mm -hmm. that's like when you say it's other explanations are more probable, they like to mean that the simplest explanation is most likely the correct one. Mm -hmm. But I think if you will only accept the simplest explanation for any turn of events or situation, you completely close your mind to the possibility of any alternative explanation. But I think this might come from our culture and how lots of people want to be seen as skeptical because nobody wants to be fooled or made a fool of. It's proactive to be skeptical. Like, oh, I never, I didn't believe that anyway. That's baloney. That's bullshit. I don't know. Right? You hear that. Though, I would, I would say, though, there is a level of like, yes, okay, simplest explanation might not always actually be the answer. But like, when something can be disproved, if we're talking about many different types of conspiracy theories, some of them are just completely wacky. Like there's obvious obviously that's not the truth like let's just for example go with flat earth like there's (laughs) irrefutable proof that you're wrong 
<laughs> but you're just coming up like basically every proof that you're given saying like no but like this and they go mm. but that's just they've they've made those they've faked that so there is a level of like yes i get if you completely disregard anything fantastical you are cutting yourself off from the possibility that there are things that defy that kind of normal simplest explanation but like also some of them truly are just bonkers absolutely great bonkers exactly people will get hyper focused on being like ah you've given me all this irrefutable proof but it is in fact refutable because i'm gonna say fake but that's why i would try to prefer to be scientific which means that you look at all of the possible explanations reasons and theories not just the most simple you look at everything and you kind of weigh it to see well yeah i mean that's possible i guess but yeah technically technically yes there is a chance that you know well i mean that i i wouldn't say flat earth there is a chance i haven't looked into anything that they believe i think they're pretty much bananas but like i was gonna pull in a different conspiracy theory but i don't want to like like fake the moon landing yeah or or you know wayfair is actually trafficking children like Yes, I suppose technically that's possible, but not probable based on exactly. And so you yeah. you weigh all of the evidence. It's not just so. That's what I think that we do when we look at conspiracy theories. We're not just looking at them and going like, "Well, this is what they say, so I believe them." It's like, "Well, this is what they say." And then we evaluate based on our experiences in life. What do we think? So please push pause on the prejudice button and open your minds to the possibility of aliens, UFOs, unidentified aerial phenomenon. (laughs) 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 But I don't actually have one. Like, You know, I could I could insert sounds, but the fact that we're making our own like cronk <laughs> is 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 killing Arguably me a little bit. better. Yeah, Obviously. I, I agree. I'm like, wait, <laughs> just we're gonna isolate me recruit like saying that's the alien noise right there. Mark the time. Mark it. Mark it. Yeah, and then it got to just trail off awkwardly. Yeah, yeah. I that's like it. Clearly the way to go. Okay. My mind is opened, Sarah. I am pressing pause on the prejudice button. Aliens, go. So it's one of the oldest conspiracy theories that I can think of, that aliens are real, right? Like that it's a secret <laughs> and that's of great importance and it is being kept from the public, that people have said that they're real and I'm always, yeah, okay, woo! But on April 28th, 2020, the U.S. Department of Defense released three declassified videos of unexplained aerial phenomena. Now, the same videos had already been leaked one in 2007 and two in 2017, but this time they were coming directly from the U.S. government. 
One video is from 2004, filmed by two Navy fighter pilots and shows a round object hovering above the water about 100 miles out into the Pacific. And a pilot can be heard saying, look at that thing, dude, it's rotating. So uh, why is this such a big deal? <laughs> it's rotating. Well, for one thing, Navy fighter pilots are not just like normal people. They are highly skilled, highly trained individuals that are, you know, very smart. But anyway, it, this is the first time that the Department of Defense has published or given authenticity to such videos. And even went as far as to say the aerial phenomena observed in the videos remains characterized as unidentified. Okay, so they're not saying for sure extraterrestrial, but flying with technology unbeknownst to humans at this time, or at least the humans in the U.S. Department of Defense. So... Why all of a there, sudden? What? I was gonna say there have been like it's not a new development, I guess in terms of like yes I I and I know because I remember when this happened it's like the U.S. Department of Defense was like well 2020s shit let's give people something <laughs> right now and then they're like you know what will make them feel good aliens and instead that just freaked all of us out. Um, they were like ooh we misjudged what would happen, but. Yes, or like actually people didn't care. It was more like 2020 was so shit. They're like, oh, aliens now. Yeah, all right. But it's not the first time there have been um, video recordings or people seeing things where the explanation has, like that's been presented, has been like, yes, it is an unidentified object. We don't know what it is, but the... Um, the oh my god the words sylvie what are the words you're looking for so yeah it's not the first time we've seen videos like this and people have been like yes we don't know what it is but that the explanation that they pushed for is that it may in fact someone here like you know a different government a different um country who's responsible for it because they've got technology that they've created and because it's defense technology it's by nature incredibly secretive absolutely <clears throat> but yeah. it's the first time that the you so these videos had been leaked before we've seen we had a, these exact videos before but mm -hmm. this was the first but it was time the acknowledgement exactly. from the government coming yep. out saying like we actually have no idea what this is yep yeah absolutely. Well, well, I'm that that in itself though isn't doesn't immediately scream aliens i mean kind of does to me but again we've been through this before i'm I'm likely to believe aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, what were you going to say? Um, even Obama recently came out and said that he uh, actually, like when he took office, that he asked about that and confirmed UFOs. Like he did that like a couple weeks ago. So yeah. the reason that Obama knows about them is because of my personal hero, Dr. Stephen Greer, but we'll get into him in one second. <laughs> so why all of a sudden did the U.S. government decide to put this information out there, right? Like why uh, in 2020, like you said, Sylvie, was it because it was just so shit and they're like, nobody's even going to notice. Just put it out. Yeah, yeah. Aliens, <laughs> right? Now's the time. It's going to eventually come out. People are talking like there are people who know who are eventually going to talk. 
let's just say it now because it's just going to get piled onto the shit list of everything else that's terrible right now. Exactly. <clears throat> or it could be for a couple of other reasons. One is actually Tom DeLonge of Blink-182 fame and his personal crusade to have these particular videos published, these three in particular. So it is literally thanks to him and his foundation. But also the second and my personal favorite. <laughs> <That's so laughs> I just process that. you gotta give me a second to like information into like what i know about the world okay i'm ready tom delange of blink 182 like was like it's very important that the public sees these alien videos i'm going to pressure the u.s government he yeah he literally he started a foundation called the stars and something foundation i didn't look too much into him because uh it's not what you were going for but i'm just gonna say i'm looking this shit up later because i'm (laughs) very interested to know about tom delange and his his crusade to inform the masses of aliens literally look it up it's real it's legit And the second, and my personal favorite, is UFOologist. I know that word. I just can't even. Dr. Stephen Greer. <sighs> Sorry. He founded something called the Disclosure Project in 1993 in an attempt to penetrate the government agencies he says are withholding information. <clears throat> he wanted to do this by gathering actual proof of alien contact. The project really came to a head in 2001 when Dr. Greer gathered a group together and held a press conference at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. He brought with him a 492-page dossier, which he claims houses proof of the greatest secret in human history. Ex-Army pilots interviewed, they have observed crafts within Earth's airspace performing extreme maneuvers at G-forces that would turn a human pilot to soup crafts with no visible means of lift or propulsion, and even claims of government departments attempting reverse engineering. And then again with the release of the documentary Unacknowledged in 2017, which focused on the files of the Disclosure Project and even named the organization he claims to be withholding the information, the Military Industrial Financial Complex. Dr. Greer claims that he has briefed top government officials from the CIA, the Pentagon, and even an advisor to Barack Obama. They were all interested, like after they saw his 492 pages, his dossier, they wanted to hear about what they told them. But when they went asking, they found out they were not cleared for the information they were asking about. The clearance is 38 levels above what is typically granted a commander in chief, which means 38 levels above the president. But this doesn't mean much because when looking into what the levels of security clearance are in the U.S., there are so many and everything (laughs) is need to know and funneled through a disclosure officer. So it's like, do you need to know? This guy's going to tell you. No, you don't need to know. And the National Security Agency uses specialized terms like umbra or majestic. So it's like, what's your security clearance? I'm majestic. (laughs) Oh, my God. I want to be a majestic. Right? No, I don't. I really don't. I don't want to know what they know. Don't tell me. It's not for me. Actually, you even saying that, Sarah, raises an interesting point. Like, just talking about conspiracy theories, and specifically alien conspiracy theories. Now, 
Is there a point where you go and perhaps the government, um, is there perhaps a chance that the government or governments involved or militaries involved are telling us, not just because they're like, have some nefarious reason to keep a secret, but because it's not information that would be at all helpful or healthy for the public to know. So that would be the debate about why they would keep it secret, not actually the debate about if it's real or not. And I think we should have that debate going forward. Um, Anyway, yeah, I, I don't disagree like you saying like oh the debate that's a different kind of debate because that's the should we know versus does it even exist but there is I think a certain level of like I don't know and it's hard to say what information should be considered this information but I do definitely think when you're talking about world governments and like national security and things like that there are certainly things that the public either doesn't need to know because it's not actually prevalent to how we live our lives and also things that arguably we just don't need to know. Absolutely. No, I totally 100% agree with you on that one for sure. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely think that it is an interesting conversation and I would love to have that conversation with you as well. But, You're like, but not now. I have my research. But not now because this one is literally about how, why are we to believe after okay. all of this time, after all of the scoffing and humor and like, yeah, UFOs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know, and then when pressed, people are like, yeah, well, I, I guess I could believe, but it's still like such a taboo thing. Why, when there is all this like proof from these people, do we still yeah. kind of chuckle and think of the little green men? So, Well, I think too, people, I think some people, sorry, when you say, like, talk about aliens, I think a lot of people still do immediately think little green men from Mars who are going to come and, you know, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you think think about them in in culture, too, because, I mean, like the Great Gazoo in the Flintstones, for instance, um, yeah, they kind of make light of it as well. So there's a lot of um, embarrassment, I think, that goes into admitting that you believe in t- believe in this too, because it's but, culturally become kind of a joke. That you think too about like people who have made their mark on like social media entertainment recent in like recent years on like you know the weird and inexplicable stuff like and i'm specifically thinking shane madey and and ryan vergara because you know they're awesome but you look at that and you have one person who flat out says every time i don't believe in any of this nonsense all of this is stupid you're crazy until you say aliens and that's the one thing that he's willing to go yeah yeah that could be a thing that could be real because it's the i think that's kind of what you're saying there is there's been enough not like straight up 100 percent irrefutable proof but there's been enough evidence of like hey but what about 
all of this. Like, we're not talking little green men who want to come and probe us, but there's definitely something there. Like, right. there's, yeah. Okay, anyway, but, continue on. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying all your research. But I think also maybe it's also easier and simpler to toe the line that the culture has said is appropriate. You don't fight against it because you're going to get scoffed at. So you just say they don't exist and yeah. whatever you move on. But um, maybe we, we have to just pause and think maybe we're not alone in the universe. So now we're going to go to 1989. Good come year. Back, come back with me. We're in 1989 in Las Vegas. There's Ooh, an- I like it. <laughs> All right. There's an investigative reporter named George Knapp, and he was contacted by a man that said he'd been working at a nearby local government facility and wanted to share with the world the scientific discoveries he had witnessed. This man demanded anonymity, appeared under the pseudonym Dennis, and was silhouetted inside a van with no visible characteristics. I mean, you could tell that he's wearing glasses, and like literally, if you know glasses, you could tell what type of glasses they were. But the, <laughs> actually, he doesn't wear them during the interview. He puts them on as he goes to get out of the van, and it's like, oh my god. But they also didn't even alter his voice <laughs> and his idiolect, like the way he talks is so crazy distinct. But the interview aired on May 15th, 1989. Okay. The, the first question the reporter asks, the like literally first question, he goes, how can they even trust he is who he says he is? And this is literally one of the biggest hurdles in this story. <laughs> and the silhouetted Dennis is stumped just stumped by the question and completely caught off guard, like surprised they would question him. He's mm-hmm. like, but, but I saw, I, I am trustworthy. I, I'm, I'm coming forward to tell you what I saw. So he responds with, well, I guess there's no way you could really know. Uh, uh, there's no way I could prove it without revealing my identity and getting myself into more trouble than I have already. But what drove this guy to reach out to a a reporter? Who is Dennis? And what was the nearby local facility? Meet Area 51. Huh? Is that... Oh, wait, we had this discussion before. Area 51 is not in Nevada, is it? Uh, So, no. uh, We'll get there. I promise. You're good, though. So, meet Bob Lazar. He's just a dude. A really, really nerdy dude. Like, really. He's a physicist with a passion for jet dragsters. And he proudly admits to having a particle accelerator in his master bedroom for funsies. (laughs) I know. He even now owns and operates a scientific equipment and supply retailer called United Nuclear in Michigan, where, among other things, he manufactures fireworks. Currently, he's about 65, appearing to be nothing but practical in every way, Just picture your science teacher from high school. Comfortable shoes that scream, I'm going to be standing all day. Looks over his glasses instead of through them. Literally cracks himself up with nerdy physics jokes that nobody else could possibly get. That's him. He just seems like a really down-to-earth, honest, insanely smart guy who I can't emphasize enough just really loves science. Anyway, he has a pretty incredible story that he hates talking about and pretty much refuses to discuss anymore. But I will tell it to you now. After graduating high school, Bob attended the California Institute of Technology, 
Caltech before going on to MIT. And in 1982, he started working at the National Laboratory in Los Alamos, famous for being the lab that developed the first atomic bomb. He had a hobby of attaching jet propulsion devices to things that caught the eye of the local paper when he attached a jet booster to his daily driven Honda Civic and was featured in a rather large front page story. This article was kind of a big deal for two reasons. It's used as a form of proof of identity later on, but it was also very memorable to a man named Ed Teller, one of the creators of the hydrogen bomb. You see, when the article was on the front page, Ed just happened to be at Los Alamos, giving a talk or having a lunch or in his, in his honor or whatever, and Bob got to meet him. And they discussed his car and the modifications. Years later, Bob leaves Los Alamos. It feels to me as if not under good terms, but he won't talk about it, so I won't speculate out loud, just in my head. And he uh, needs to find a new job. So he reaches out to Ed Teller and asks if he knows of anyone who's hiring. Ed gives Bob some contact with a company called EGNG, which stands for Edgerton Germschausen and Greer Inc., but I will never say that again, which is an agency contracted by the U.S. Department of Defense. And Bob applies for a job. He goes through a very, and I mean very rigorous interview process. Sylvie, you have, yes, probably, you have probably experienced a process that was similar and were questioned by people because they interviewed his family, friends, they even tapped his phone lines. It was intense to say the least. But finally, yeah. in 1998, or sorry, 1988, he gets the job. He travels to McCarran Airport. Yeah. <laughs> he travels to McCarran Airport and takes a flight with EG&G. Then he gets on a bus with blacked out windows and is driven to a facility where he spends the first day filling out paperwork, getting security clearances, and is given time to go through briefings to familiarize himself with the new job. To his surprise, delight, confusion, and horror, he is given Ooh. over a hundred and twenty. So many different emotions. Well, it would be, I promise. He's given over a hundred and twenty documents written from different scientific research perspectives about aliens, crafts, bodies, documents of contact, originating location. So much information. At first, he doesn't know what to make of it. So he tries to memorize as much as he can in case it's some kind of recall test of unfamiliar terms or conditions. It's not until the next day when he travels to a different facility nearby, what's going to be his main working location, and he meets his new work buddy lab partner, Barry, that he realizes that the alien shit he read, at least some of it must have been real. So as he walks into the facility called S4, through hangar doors, they were nine sets of hangar doors, he describes seeing what he thinks is an advanced fighter craft because there was an American flag sticker on the side of the craft. But upon closer inspection, he realized there were no familiarities between that craft and anything we can manufacture. He is then told that he has been hired specifically to reverse engineer the power and propulsion unit for this craft. And he's shown on the bench a working power system from the craft. So that's the second day of work. First day he gets all this alien shit. And he's like, okay, are they testing me? Like, I got to remember this because they just so much information, 120 different briefings about 
the things that they were researching written from different scientific perspectives, right? That's a stress. That's like a pretty stressful first day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this power system, he describes it as like if you picture a basketball and then you cut it in half. So you've got like it's hollow on the inside and it's just like a half of a sphere on top. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly the shape and size of the power unit cover, but it's made of metal. And that piece sits on a metal plate. And I mm-hmm. picture it kind of like a room service plate and plate cover, you know, like over the top, you know? So when, when he tries to touch the cover, Barry's like, touch it, touch it. He is unable to, like he can't, as soon as his hand gets anywhere near it, it's forced away. And after some time, he realizes that this power unit was creating a gravity field around it. And this is when he knew for sure, without a doubt, that this craft definitely did not originate from our planet, because this is technology we can't create yet. We know and understand gravity, but we can't alter it. Everything we have for flying, whether it's a propeller or a jet or a rocket, it throws something out the back like exhaust or a high volume of air. So what humans know and can create are action and reaction forces. The action step creates a product that we throw out the back and it moves you forward or in the case of a rocket up. But I guess that could also be forward because they're going. Anyway, this (laughs) (laughs) this craft is reactionless. It is a field propulsion craft that creates a distortion in space and time in front of it where space actually bends and then the craft moves towards the bend. He describes it this way. If you picture an old style mattress that doesn't have any of the balancing springs and you put a bowling ball on the mattress, then you push your fist into the mattress about a foot away from the ball and the ball will roll towards your fist, right? Mm -hmm. So the ball in this situation is the UFO. Your fist is how that power unit works. It creates that distortion and then the bowling ball just falls towards it. So we understand the science that explains how this technology works, but we don't know how to do it. (laughs) So he actually got to work with and touch and use this type of technology over the course of his employment. His lab partner, Barry, seemingly lived at the facility and Bob thinks had been living there for a while, which is apparently pretty normal and expected if employed at one of the facilities in the area because this particular part of the desert in Nevada has long been used for nuclear testing. And the partner-buddy system meant that Bob was only allowed to talk to Barry. It's one of the ways that they keep the information compartmentalized, but Barry liked to chat and told Bob about his last partner who had recently died in a workplace accident, trying to cut into the fuel that is housed within the power unit. Within that room service tray, they tried to just cut it because they're like, we don't understand it. And he apparently blew up. Not ideal. Yeah, so the fuel Bob describes as element 115. So despite his fear, after hearing of his predecessor's untimely demise, and new trouble on the home front as his wife was struggling with the secrecy and strange hours of his new job, it was his own curiosity and wonder that kept him going as he started working on the craft, which is the absolute most regular silver flying disc-shaped saucer 
you could ever picture. Like if he wasn't telling the truth, he could have been a little more creative on the look of the whole thing. But (laughs) (laughs) just to be real, like, oh my God, you're going to pick this regular fucking saucer look. Anyway, the bottom portion of the craft is what he had access to on a couple of occasions. And it housed the power production units and the emitting units. He describes the craft as one continuous metal object, but made out of a material he can't recognize. And there are no wires, nothing connecting anything anywhere in this whole ship, not in the walls, nothing. There are no wires. Nothing is connected. There are three main levels. The upper level, he didn't really have access to. Just what he could observe as he entered and made his way down to the bottom two floors. But he suspects there was a smaller little room above the upper level that housed flight control uh, sensors. You know, the navigation systems just on the very tippity tip top of the ship. In the middle of the upper level, there are several seats in a circle around a thick metal rod that runs from the bottom of the ship all the way out through the top of the craft that Bob describes as an antenna. The whole craft is very small, seeming to have been built for individuals only about three to four feet tall. So everybody has to crouch to move around in there. And his favorite part was the doorway between the upper floor and the lower floors. So it's like one of those subway covers that's super dangerous to walk over when you're wearing heels. It's like a grate, right? Mm -hmm. The metal is super thin and really beautiful. And it's still incredibly strong. But to open it, you just stick your finger in and lightly push on one corner. And the whole metal grate would just snap together and lay flush. And it would just be an open hatch to the floor below. On the middle, the center level, there were three power units. Those room service plates, those are gravity emitters. And there are three of them. They're spread out evenly around the antenna on the middle level. On the lower level, there were three propulsion units all aligned underneath the power units. The propulsion systems look like big cylinders that are attached on a 180 degree swiveling rotating attachment point. So like kind of like big stage lights they use in theaters so they can kind of follow you everywhere. They could they could point in any direction anyways that's the ship that he can describe it's very like specific he has details of things that i mean i guess somebody could spend a lot of time and make up and cement it in their memory and you know pretend that they saw this anyways he works with barry to try and figure out how these systems work how they communicate anything for almost a year one day Bob comes in and all the hangar doors are open and he sees for the first time that they actually have nine different craft and he can see it for like a couple of seconds while he just, you know, gets driven in. He's like, oh my God, they're all different. Anyway, that same day, he was able to witness a test flight of his craft because his was operational and apparently another team had figured out how to fly it because remember there were so many different teams. Bob was just on power and propulsion. He somehow found out they were planning on test flying his saucer on Wednesday evenings. So research had shown the least amount of traffic on Wednesday in the area, and they're going around Papoose Lake. So he got the schedule for this. And he got into his head that he would take his wife and show her what it was that he had been working on. I guess because maybe he knows how unbelievable it sounds. And they were having such a hard time because he wasn't allowed to tell her what he was doing. So he brings her out and she is convinced. She is a believer. Like she knows 100% that what he is saying is the truth. He's working on alien craft. The next Wednesday, 
they go out again, except they brought more people. Because obviously, when you tell one person, and it's something as crazy as that, they're going to want to go and share it with their people. So the next Wednesday, they come out, they see it again. And the Wednesday after that, they got a little arrogant. They brought camper vans, they were having bonfires. But just like clockwork, at the time that it was on the schedule, the dancing light show would appear and fly over Pap- Papoose Lake. So shortly after the bonfire party, Bob was brought in by his employer, the U.S. Navy. He was taken into an interrogation room and advised that they knew what he had done, that he had shared the secret, and that, frankly, they didn't know what they were going to do with him yet. And then they played him tapes, taped recordings of his home phone line, of his wife and a family friend having an affair. He was blindsided and devastated, but they let him go. So that's when he contacted the only reporter he had ever heard of, investigative reporter George Knapp, (laughs) and he did the anonymous interview as Dennis. So Dennis explained to the public that he had been employed by the U.S. Department of Defense, running a program through some of the nearby facilities. The main one was called Area 51. He, He explains that he had worked on at one of the smaller facilities called S-4 near Groom Lake. It houses about nine spacecrafts. He said some were operational and being test flown, sometimes at night. He worked in propulsion and the information was very compartmentalized, so he didn't know much of anything outside of what was directly relevant to his research. George questions whether he's maybe exaggerating the technology by saying, isn't it possible some other government or agency made these as opposed to getting them from alien beings? To which Dennis has no hesitation and replies, totally impossible. Uh, the propulsion system isn't a uh, gravity propulsion system. The power source is an antimatter reactor. Uh, this technology does not exist at all. In fact, one of the reasons I'm coming forward with this information, it's uh, not only a crime against the American people, it's a crime against the scientific community, which I've been a part of for some time, who are actively trying to duplicate these systems, yet they're in existence now and basically in the hands of the government. So whether it was naivete or he thought he did a real good job at hiding his identity, Dennis <laughs> went on living his life, no longer employed at the facility, just, just carried on living. Within six months, he felt there had been an attempt on his life. Upon entering a highway, uh, his rear tire exploded and caused him to become fearful for his family's safety as he felt that it was shot out. So he agreed to do another interview with no silhouette as a form of insurance with George Knapp, which aired in November of 1989. The second interview was much more in-depth and actually visually introduces the audience to the physics nerd, but was consistent with everything Bob had said before and, as mentioned, most definitely identifiable as Dennis from the silhouetted interview. Because... It's the same guy. You can just tell when he talks and then he puts on his glasses and you're like, yep, yep, that's you. When he's questioned about it, he's always like, but why don't you believe me? Like, I'm just telling you what I saw. (laughs) It's very interesting. So why don't we believe him? Well, it turns out it's really hard to prove he is who he says he is. Because when George started digging, he called MIT. Turns out they don't have a record of Robert Lazar, nor does Caltech. And when contacted, when he contacted Los Alamos, they say they've no record of a Bob Lazar ever being employed by them. 
But a coworker had a 1982 phone book from the Los Alamos lab that lists a Bob Lazar with the rest of the employed scientists. And this is where that newspaper article comes back, because it also references his job at the local lab, Los Alamos. He's had two friends come forward and corroborate that they would drop him off and pick him up from Caltech. And if he wasn't going there, he was doing a real good job of making it look like he was. But Bob has never been able to produce a paper degree from either institution. Now, in 1989, he said that Element 115 was the fuel. But how could he have even known about its existence? It wasn't on the periodic table until November 28, 2016. It was first synthesized on Earth in 2003 by a team of Russian-American scientists in Russia. The isotopes of Moscovium, which are element 115 that we have been able to produce so far, have a half-life of 0.8 seconds. But Bob claims he studied a stable version of the element, and the craft he worked on used it as a way to power the gravity emitters. He explained that the craft worked by creating gravity waves, which had been proposed by French mathematician and physicist Henri Poincaré in 1905 and later predicted mathematically in 1916 by Albert Einstein. But that wasn't until September 14, 2015, that we had first direct observation of gravitational waves. Prior to this, a leading theory was that gravity works by particles called gravitrons, which travel at the speed of light. Science still doesn't really know what gravity is, is. We only know how it behaves. And I say we, but I mean people way smarter than me, we, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. they, they know how it behaves. But like, they... as far as I know, sorcery. <laughs> <laughs> as far as they know. They literally thought <laughs> particles that we hadn't discovered yet, gravitrons. That was like a leading theory up until 2015 when they were like, no, dude, it's for sure waves. Like, here you go. <laughs> it's waves. But without being able to confirm who this man is, we can't really trust anything he has to say, right? Like, if he says all of these things, how can we believe him? It is completely possible that he is a pathological liar who came up with a wild story in the late 80s as a desperate attempt to become a famous man or make money. Except he is insured to never make money off of his story. He's never written a book. He's never gone on any tour. He doesn't do anything. He donates any money he does get. And he literally hates being in front of a camera or doing interviews. Like, he has such anxiety, he gets a migraine before he does it. It's bananas. He's taken four lie detector tests. Not that those are, like, to be completely trusted. Always on a, just, you gotta look at them as a, okay, a lie detector test helps you evaluate the quality of the evidence. But out of his four lie detector tests, they all came back as truthful. Hmm. And... Out of everything, the overarching theme is he feels so lucky to have gotten to experience what he did because of his love for science and his understanding of what he got to see. And he just feels like the public should know that they have proof of extraterrestrial life from a different galaxy. That's just what he wants us to know. And when you ask him, if he could go back and do it all over again, would he do it? He, he really doesn't know because it hasn't improved his life. He's had to live with this for this whole time. People telling him he's fucking crazy, laughing at him, having threats on his life, his wife having an affair and being told by your employer. Like, it's just a banana story. And yeah. who knows? 
Is he a legitimate person? What do you think? Interesting. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect, indeed. Yeah, anyway, so thoughts. That was very interesting. Yeah? Well, I can see... I can see very easily how you can go either either way with it. Okay. Like, do you believe him or do you not believe him? Right. It's because it comes down to, like you mentioned at the very beginning, a conspiracy, right? Yep. So if he is to be believed, that means that some entity, in this case, the, you know, U.S. Defense Department, essentially wiped his records of his his college degrees yeah but there's a news art like it's that it's that news article that throws up because like he was working at that lab at the time and you could you know i guess on one sense you could make an argument saying there's nothing in that article that specifies what he was doing at the lab but if the article was based on the fact that he created this like basically put a propulsion system on the back of his civic (laughs) <laughs> you can kind of extrapolate that extrapolate he's not doing administrative not work yeah <laughs> exactly he wasn't there to like yeah make sure he wasn't part of the HR department yeah, <sighs> yeah. and I mean there is again yeah. if we're talking about conspiracy theories there is a huge conspiracy theory that's ongoing about how part of the reason our technological specifically mechanical technological growth has expanded so much in the last you know 150 years is very much based on the fact that we are reverse engineering technologies that didn't exist yet like that i've heard that before like as saying another thing and it helps that he paints a much more plausible alien like you know alien vocal alien i don't know advocate i don't even know what you call it then say the guy the ancient aliens guy absolutely because this guy comes at it from scientific perspective he's like i this is what i worked on this is what i directly observed because he had in the first interview in uh, 1989 the the televised one he says some crazy stuff that he saw there but he never repeats those things like at one point he says he walks past a door and inside the room as the door is closing like he estimates the time was 400 milliseconds and again who estimates time in milliseconds to the hundredth like (laughs) crazy science nerds do that too that's not a normal person, like a 400 millisecond glance. He saw scientists in white lab coats holding clipboards looking down at what he described as a small being. And he has never said it again because I, he can't prove it. He like kind of is smiling when he says it because he's, he's theorizing or he's putting together in his 400 millisecond glance what he saw. And he knows that he doesn't know what he saw. So he never says it again. He, he's like, it must have been a doll. It could have been anything. I don't know what it was. He will yeah. only say things that he actually has proof of, that he feels confident with. He said from 1989 that there was a, a hand scanner 
that shot light waves through your hand and measured the length of your bones. And he explained it to people, what it looked like and whatever. And in 2017, this investigator found a photo of that machine and showed it to him. And like, he nearly cried because people said he was crazy, that it didn't exist. But it was one of the first biometric scanners that the government used. And they still used up until like the early 2000s and that was George Knapp that found that photograph no it was a different investigator one that picked up where George Knapp left off but George has not stopped doing this he he got the bug when Bob started talking to him and he's never given up UFOs but Bob hates it refuses to talk about it he's like it's ruined enough of my life (laughs) 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 seriously it's very interesting hmm there is also I don't, I, I don't know about you guys i'm kind of prone to believe it well, so he comes... Nicole? well he comes off like a like a grandfather almost you're saying so and from what you're describing like he sounds like a regular nerd that just saw something that blew his mind and he was so happy about seeing it and getting to be he feels privileged to have gotten to experience it And he doesn't, like, he's not trying to go out there and make a bunch of money off of it or overthrow the government. He's just like, guys, this exists. But they're trying to reverse engineer it, and it's super dangerous. But a lot of the things that he says from 1989 turned out to be true, like Element 115. How did he even know about that? Especially if he's just a regular person who didn't go to MIT. (laughs) Or even, I mean, even if he is, because, like... I think there have been some cases where you could say that incredibly intelligent, educated people go batshit crazy. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Crazy things. Um, I mean, really, all you need to, you don't need to look much further than uh, uh, the Unabomber, right? Yeah. Like, you can have people who are incredibly intelligent who definitely have the the knowledge to present themselves um you know as a as a scientist because they have the education and they have the knowledge and the yeah but end up being cuckoo for cocoa puffs right like that that's a possibility that does happen absolutely but it is the like so you know it's not unreasonable to think that he is a scientist like that he was a scientist regardless like that seems believable and he could have been working with the government on these projects like and it's it's believable to me too that there could in fact be theory like you know element 115 they could have been working on that as early as 1989 but hadn't come out with it yet so i mean there is Yes, there is the possibility that all of that lines up, but it does add credibility to the fact that at the very least, he was actually working in the scientific capacity with the U.S. government. And like, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Even, if, even if it doesn't immediately, but even if, even if the rest of it is that he maybe extrapolated more than what was actually there or whatever, that does that in itself lends credibility to the the science angle like he's obviously an educated man he obviously has been working with like in a, like in a lab setting 
Now, what he was doing, I guess that's up for interpretation, whether he was actually seeing alien crafts or, you know, just working on advanced technology technologies. Absolutely. And um, the other thing that I find really interesting, he was the first person to name Area 51. And it wasn't until 2013 with a freedom of information request that George Knapp submitted they finally got the government to admit that Area 51 was a real location. And that's when the world was like, we're going to storm it. It's real. We're going there. Because literally until 2013, that was still a conspiracy that Area 51 was real. Huh. But in 1989. was the first one to bring it up. Because Area, I mean, okay, so this is me not knowing enough about it because, you know, aliens are or your vibe, not mine, for the most part. Um, But it's interesting, because Area 51, there have been stories about Area 51, like, going back to the Roswell crash. Yes. Like, the alleged Roswell um, crash site, and all that. So, did the public refer to and talk about Area 51 prior to 1989, or was that literally the first time he said it, and then all these other kind of alien um, government conspiracy ideas got attached to Area 51 after he said it. That is the way it happened. So before it was known as Roswell, and then after Robert Lazar named it Area 51, and the reason he knew about it was because that's where he went to fill out his paperwork and get security clearance. He went to Area 51 first, he read the 120 briefings there that were all about aliens. And then the next day, okay. he went to F4. So prior to him coming out and saying it, though, no one knew it as Area 51. Exactly. Okay. And see, so that is, again, another thing that kind of led credibility to the fact that regardless of if you believe what he was doing there. Exactly. That he was it's, there. It's lending credibility to the fact that he was working with the U.S. military in some capacity at these secret locations. Yes. I'd also, I'd also be a little bit more skeptical if he actually um, gained anything from this, and he hasn't, from what you said. If anything, he's lost because of coming out. So much. He lost so much. Okay, so there's a couple of other things that I'll tell you that are interesting. He remembered the name of the person that did his background check that was employed by EG&G. Because his name was so uh, distinct, it was Mike Thinkpen. And this same investigative reporter that found the uh, biometric scanner also found Thinkpen. And Thinkpen confirmed that he was employed by EG&G to do background checks as they were hiring for secret facilities um, in Nevada at that time. Hmm. And then the other interesting thing that I, I think is maybe more so why he is terrified of speaking about it. Um, in an, uh, the most recent documentary that I saw about him, they found a video that they called the color chamber or the cloud chamber. It was called the cloud chamber experiment. And they have a small, like 10 second video of an experiment that Bob completed 
that apparently shows light bending around element 115 because when you create uh, gravity, when you, when you do this, light will bend around it. And so that would um, indicate that maybe Bob took some element 115 from the facility. He's been raided multiple times and they've never found anything. But during the filming of the documentary, after they talked about this, he got raided again under the pretense of looking for an invoice from United Nuclear because he also, you know, sells people really important um, materials for things that are regulated heavily. So they came, the FBI came and searched his house again. But it, it does seem like maybe. <laughs> it's this, it's this, so I'm having this back and forth in my head because like, I do feel like, the information he provides does give a pretty compelling reason, like I said, to believe that he was employed by the U.S. government or by the Defense Department. I'm also, like, here's the thing when you're talking about, I mean, just it's more, uh, the, the, the stories, I feel like the stories and stuff are more prevalent with the U.S. military because that's the media that we get here. Um more frequently than like some other countries that are perhaps a little further removed from us but particular particularly during like basically from the 40s up until the mid 80s um there was a lot of what has now like since come out and been proven like because the government like the the defense department has come out and said yeah we did this there are a lot of shady weird experiments that were done by the u.s military during like the time frames that he would have been working for them that they did not want known like they were very much confidential no one needs to know you need to have like alpha landlock majestic to even <laughs> know that it existed let alone be a part of it so even again, regardless, it's not, and uh, this is stuff that the U.S. government has like since come out and and admitted. Like you know, Project MK Ultra, it happened, it was real. They've admitted it, right? Yeah. Like the LSD experiments and things like that. Yeah. So it's not beyond the like realm of of logical reasoning to believe that he did like that he worked at like for the government and it was on an incredibly secretive um like secretive operation now again whether that's aliens or not is there's really no way to prove that but i frankly would not be like incredibly surprised if in 50 years the u.s government comes out and says mm, guys turns out Lazar was right. He was working on a recovered alien. Like, I think it's going to happen a lot sooner than that. And I agree because I like, I just find him so trustworthy. And honestly, everything that he says just feels like on when you listen to what he says and you hear his life story and you think 
yeah, okay, so he doesn't have a paper degree from MIT, but he knows shit that you can't possibly know, and he jokes about it in his, like, that's just his normal way of being. He thinks he's so funny. with Anyway, he doesn't speak like that at all, <laughs> at like, at all. Uh, and that I was forget, a, I, a poor representation. <laughs> yeah, such a poor representation, because he's, like, the cutest nerdy person ever. I can't explain it. His glasses, no. Sylvie, you would just die. Just You'd be like, let me adjust them. They don't oh, look they have, them. like, crooked clubmasters or something? <laughs> no, he, uh, yeah, they're just, like, a ridiculous, anyway. But um, he obviously had cataract surgery. Like, he was a really strong minus prescription back in the 80s, and he's at oh. cataract surgery and now has very thin lenses, but he just looks over them to see anything up close, ever. <laughs> he's always just, like, yeah. Um, but it's, um, again, it's that whole thing, like, I don't, I think I think there is a certain leap to be made to go from like hearing him go, yeah, a hundred percent like for me, there's a little bit of a leap that you need to take to be like, yeah, hundred percent believe him gotta be about aliens. Yep. But I do think again, there's there's pretty good reason to believe that he did work for a facility secretively for the US Defense Department. And the U.S. Defense Department has many times come out years later after something was like maybe whispered about um, and someone was like this is some shit that's happening and people are like nah that's crazy there's no way that they would do that to their own people or there's no way that they could keep that a secret and then like three decades later they're like well we're working on some really crazy stuff now so we gotta give people a bone <laughs> yeah yeah those those are unexplained uh aerial phenomena yeah we don't know where they came from yeah yeah like oh yeah there's some shit going on that we don't want people to know about so it's like almost the pay no attention to the man behind the curtain like <laughs> hey guess what we we definitely thought mind control was real and that if we just pumped people full of enough lsd they would 100 percent be able to use psychic powers to attack <laughs> ergo Here's all this, like, still heavily redacted uh, information about that. Focus on that for a while. And then, like, meanwhile, hey, we can make gravity now, guys. How did that happen? Well, <laughs> Men in Black are their own conspiracy theory. Men in Black um, showing up and taking away things mysteriously. Or Men in Black showing up and, um, and you know, like, having... Uh, spaces of time um, disappear so I wouldn't be surprised yeah like it's one of those things like does it immediately scream aliens maybe maybe not I think it definitely like regardless of whether or not you believe it that, that it's aliens and whatever I definitely 100% believe that it pointing towards uh the very least the government working on some secretive shit that they didn't want people to know about at the time for whatever reason. But then I think to myself, Sylvie, if you believe that, then you also kind of have to trust him and his advanced scientific knowledge to know that we can't even produce the fuel that they already had available. Mm. Like the fuel that we, we could produce in 2015 lasted for 0.4 of a second. 
and he has a stable version of it. It's just hanging out. It could be naturally forming on a different planet. We don't know. So if you believe that he worked there, then you also kind of have to believe what he says about what he worked on and how advanced it is. Because yes. Yeah, it's like if you're believing that because he's clearly got some reasoning like the the things like with the element 115 and things like that. It's clearly saying he worked on these things. The thing is, though, you still can't. I don't know. I, I, I don't immediately take the leap to say that it has to have been alien in nature. But where would you get the element then? Well, so this is that thing. We know that they that scientists said at this point in time, this is when we found it, right? They didn't find it, they created it. it. Hmm? They didn't find it, they created it. Okay, but then, but that's when we found out that they created, like, oh, look, this thing, that doesn't mean that it hadn't been being used. They can't make it in a way to be used yet. Hmm. So... That, that is literally where you draw the line and you say, okay, I believe. Because you can't just sit on one side and be like, yeah, yeah, he definitely worked at a lab that's, you know, whatever. But I, was it alien? I don't know. It's a craft that has no wiring and is built for three to four foot tall people and has an okay, antenna that goes through the middle. Again, that's, that's entirely going based off of like, that's not all or nothing. Either you 100% believe him or you don't. And I think there is room in the middle to have a little bit of both, like to have the, okay, well, there's enough compelling evidence there for me to say, like, yes, I believe he worked at a facility, but does that mean I have to completely suspend like every thought that I, you know, you think, you know, to say like, okay, if you believe that he worked at the facility, you have to trust his entire, you know, explanation of what the craft looked like, how, being used how they were studying it like that's where that little bit more of a leap comes from right and i'm not saying i don't believe it because again i tend to believe things about aliens <laughs> but just seems you can like also come out and say that you uh, believe that he saw something but that you don't necessarily believe that it was aliens maybe it was just advanced yeah. technology but if he also explains so that's it's crazy to me like out in one side you believe what he says but there's a line that's arbitrarily drawn where you're like nope i can't say for sure because you don't know but then that's where you have to trust his knowledge he is way smarter than i am i cannot yeah. attach a jet anything to a bicycle to a fucking car <laughs> i don't have a particle accelerator in my fucking bedroom i don't know how to make a firework but this guy is way smarter than me and he says this technology doesn't exist it was only theorized it was predicted we didn't know we didn't know anything about gravity waves until 2015 and the element wasn't even produced and it's still not even usable it lives for 0.4 of a second and then explodes because we don't know how to make it or control it yet and in 1989 he says he had it and it's like yeah okay i believe that he worked with something but i don't believe it is what 
he says it is because how could I? My my like follow up to that statement there about like how how can you believe half of it but not be willing to trust it? It's not that I don't trust him. It's exactly what Nicole said. He saw something. I believe he saw something. He came out and say, says it. Blah 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 blah. I'm just saying. I'm not saying that it's not alien technology. But the fact is, governments and militaries around the world since. Like, I mean, really, when it comes to technological advances, really, since the Second World War, have been in races with each other to develop and change technology. And when we hear about something, when a scientific discovery, you can't see making quotation marks, um, scientific discoveries are made, when we hear about them is not necessarily when it's happened because it's not usually individual scientists and labs and independent run labs that are coming up with things. It is governments and militaries that have come up with these big breaks and how long they've been working on them. The only people who know that are the people with their majestic clearance. (laughs) So whether whether or not this technology was created that he was witnessing came from an alien species and he believed like and clearly from what you've said and how you've described him that's clearly what he believes like he believes that a hundred percent that he was witnessing alien technology he's come out on the record and said it and it's you know as a byproduct ruined his life um but he's <laughs> yeah. clearly coming out and saying that and then all that 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 so he clearly believes that but i also don't put it past the ability of like basically the military industrial complex to have come up with some truly mind-bending technology that they're sniping from each other back and forth. So whether or not it was aliens or just secretive guns planning, he clearly saw something. He clearly was there. He clearly saw some crazy technology that as far as we know, shouldn't have been exist, like shouldn't have existed yet. Yep. But it also would be really fucking cool if it was alien. Well, and that's the other thing. Because of his briefing documents, right? He read 120 different scientific articles. So from people that were exploring the sensor arrays. So it was basically like executive summaries of all of the uh, research that was going on. Just in case something was going to be um, important, right? Like they don't know what's important from other people's research or what's going to be related because they don't Mm -hmm. even know how the fucking thing talks because there are no wires. And we are so simple still. We're like, no, no, we need wires. (laughs) What do you mean? How do you, what, how do you turn it on? I don't know. Anyway, but the, what, the one thing I was going to say, Sylvie, your question, why, why in Nevada, why down there? It, the, the leading theory is that aliens uh, do not like nuclear testing. Oh! They do not like atomic bombs. They do not like the splitting of the atom. And so that in particular site, in between Area 51 and S4, was heavily used for nuclear testing in the late 30s, all the way into the 80s, I believe, or the 60s, I think, when they stopped. I was going to say, what, what about UFO Alley that's up in Utah then? Because that wasn't used for um, nuclear testing, but you see plenty of UFOs in like the uh, Yunta Basin. Yeah, you have to look at the map, Nicole. 
where the actual triangle is, is very close to Area 51. So look it up. I promise there's a triangle between Area 51, S4, and Skinwalker Ranch. And within that area, there was a lot of nuclear testing. Hmm. So that is the reason why they're particularly there and they keep coming back and um what was the other thing i was going to say right back to his briefings he didn't know what the fuck they were the first day he read them he's like are they shitting with me like what are they telling me and so he doesn't know how much of them is true or what to trust because what he read might be planted in case they need to know who leaked what information because they told him what star this craft came from. They had documentation from the craft as to where it had been. And he doesn't know if that's accurate. He doesn't know if he says it, if that's like something that will lead to them being like, no, we put that in his disclosure pack. So we know he leaked that information. That's how non-trusting he is. Which makes sense if you're dealing with the government. Yeah, these are things that I didn't think about, though. I don't know. And with that, friends, we conclude our discussion on Bob Lazar and uh, UFOs. Um, next week will be Fox Hollow Farms and Herb Bomeister. Thank you, and I hope every one of you are having a wonderful day.